Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What. Today we've got Connor on, who's the MD of a recruitment company. Hi, Connor. How are you doing? You're right. Yes, good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you. Let's jump straight in there, mate. Do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you actually do? Yeah, so um, I am the director of a recruitment company called Quest Personnel. Uh, so we're a kind of construction-focused recruitment firm. Um, so we kind of sit a little bit outside of what a normal recruitment agency do. We're, we're, we're more kind of a, I guess, a, a search and selection specialist as opposed to your traditional kind of recruitment firm. Um, but our, our kind of main markets are we focus on design engineers in, in civil structure and, and transport. Um, and also for kind of production staff for, for resi developers. So how did you get into recruitment then? What made you go into it? Yeah, bit of, yeah, a bit of a bit of a kind of strange one. So I dropped out of, of, of uni after after two years, wasn't really doing well there um, and, and didn't know what I wanted to get into. Um, recruitment is one of these ones that everyone says the same thing. Oh, I fell into recruitment. And that really is the kind of same thing that happened to myself. Um, mm. So it was through a friend of a friend, I'd interviewed at kind of four or five different recruitment agencies and, and got none of the jobs. And kind of looking back at, at myself as, as someone who now kind of hires guys out of kind of college or, or out of university, I probably wouldn't have hired myself as well, which is kind of a bit narrow-minded. Really? But it's, it, I think in terms of me at that age and, and, and what I'd kind of gone through and dropped out of university and I, you know hadn't shown masses amounts of kind of commitment, um, I, you know, wasn't kind of the best recruiter uh, in terms of it didn't kind of display what a good recruiter would be. But I uh, then, yeah, met through a, a friend of a friend and, and got an interview at a company called Skilled Careers, mm-hmm. um, who were quite like a, a well-known construction recruitment firm, um, and met with the director there and just got on really well on a kind of personal level and, and yeah, ended up getting a job as a kind of a, a trainee or a trainee recruiter. And, and yeah, the rest is the rest is kind of history. So how long were you in recruitment before you took the step to set up your own agency? Um, yeah, not very long. Uh, so I started in November of 2016. And then I quit that kind of job and set up on my own in the February of, of 2018. So about a year and a half, wow. all in all. Um, Super yeah. quick. So you, you felt you'd learned the trade enough to, to make that jump? I thought I did at the time. Uh, like upon reflection, I know that there's. I mean, I probably learned more in the first six weeks than I had done in the in the kind of year and a half working for another firm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was very fortunate that the kind of way it was set up there that I kind of ran my own desk and, and recruitment can work in the way where you kind of run your own business within a business. Um, so when I kind of started out, you know, they put me onto a brand new sector that no one in the company did. So any clients that I had in any placements I was making they never knew the the business of skilled careers they they knew me as an individual so it gave me a lot of confidence that if I was to move across they would follow me as opposed to you know they would there would never be a secondary point of contact to where I was mm. um so in terms of kind of did I know enough I I, I think I did at, at that time I probably learned a lot more now but yeah I I, I thought I was ready and I, I don't think there's ever a, a great time to set up on your own I think the only thing that I had going for me at the time was I, I still lived at home. So the kind of the um, financial commitments were lower and I could afford to take that risk, which I think as you get older in life is, is a lot more difficult. So that kind of made me take that, that plunge before it was too late. 
and how were the how was the first sort of year of of running quest was it a massive learning curve huge yeah huge definitely um it, it, it's it's one of those ones where throughout kind of most of my life and 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 even in on a kind of at school and in a personal level and and then when I first started at, at my old firm, it was there was always someone to, to to ask a question to that you always had a sounding board of anything that was going on. Mm. Um, then when you go to do it all on your own, it's it's a case of you're the ultimate decision maker, and you know that's amazing when it goes well because oh, you were the smart person that had that idea. But also, it's quite <laughs> a scary thing when it's okay if this goes wrong, this is on my shoulders, and I have to make the decision on it. So, yeah, definitely learning a lot about that, learning a lot about you know. Running a company, what that means, you know, taxes, budgeting, loads of different factors outside of the recruitment sphere that I probably didn't take into account. Mm. Um, but it was it was good. It was really exciting, and it's it's the it's it's something that you know I took a lot of pride in as well. You know, I, I felt quite proud of myself that I owned a business. I, I mean, I started when I was twenty three years old. You know, I was a young guy to be to be doing that. So it was quite yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. So going back to recruitment itself, um, I think it's quite a popular career, or certainly I know a lot of people in it anyway. Um, but what does it actually involve? You know, what are you doing as a recruiter? Yeah, so in terms of what we do at Quest and as a recruiter at Quest Personnel, um, our main role really is to find candidates for our clients. So we would get a brief from a client. You know, this is the position we're looking for. These are the essential skills. You know, this is the budget we have for this position. This is the the role, and and this is us as a company. We would basically try and qualify that in as much detail as possible. You know, potentially what we call kind of expanding the role. So, you know, if, if someone said to me, "Oh, you know, Connor, we're paying forty thousand pound for a, a senior engineer," you know, okay, well, would you consider someone at you know forty five thousand pound as long as they could do X, Y, and Z, and, and, and wider than that as as much as possible. And then we would then go out to the marketplace through kind of different methods and and pretty much headhunt people out of organizations and place them in with our clients. Um, okay. So we deal with guys that 99% of the time are not actively looking or, or searching for jobs. It's, it's more kind of getting people in and persuading them to move for, for, for whatever reason, really. And, you know, I think people... Um, put recruiters and LinkedIn together a lot. Is that one of your major tools that you'd use as a recruiter? Us as a business, no. Um, but there are definitely times when you know LinkedIn is is massively advantageous. I, I think we use it sometimes to, to get a feel of who's where and who's at what company. So you know, on our, my network is only so big, and there will be people outside of that that will be on LinkedIn that I can you know get contact information for. I think that the reason why I personally try and stay away from LinkedIn, and and you know, I would say that I probably send out you know maybe six to ten LinkedIn messages a week as opposed to most standard right. recruiters that are doing maybe i don't know 100 a day potentially as well sometimes it's just because i feel one is it's very very easy to get lost in the in in the pile of, of people so in the modern world where you can you know send a mail shot out to 150 people in one go you know actually how targeted is your approach are you really actually genuinely wanting to talk to this person because you you believe what you have is good for them um I, I don't know that's the case whereas for myself it's a case where I, I want to have real conversations with people can I do that over LinkedIn sometimes but but most of the time I'm more 
you know, I, I, we we work as an old school recruitment firm where it's it's very much heavy telephone based. So that's your approach, because you know, if if you're not using LinkedIn, then it must be really difficult to build a network. How are you approaching that? Yeah, a few uh, kind of a few different methods. I think prior to COVID, it was a lot easier. You know, so we would you know meet someone, nearly every single person and, and prospective candidate. We'd meet me for a beer, for a coffee, for a bit of lunch. Mm. Um, a lot of the time, you know, if I was to place yourself um, down in in a, in a position. You know, we would say, look, let, let, let's celebrate this. It's a fantastic achievement. You know, you're talking big pay rises, blah, 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 blah. Let's go for a few beers. Make sure you bring along a few of your colleagues. It'd be good to take them out as well. All, all of a sudden, you know, your network grows in it. Mm. It's the classic kind of, you know, the seven degrees of separation. You're only ever, you know, especially in the engineering world, it's a small industry. You know, you're probably only two, three connections away from, from knowing everyone in the industry. So as long as you actively work on that and put yourself in an environment where you can network, you will eventually as long as you provide a good service as well, because I can imagine on the other hand of it, you know, if you, you know, have a bad name in the industry for whatever reason, that would also get around very, very quickly. So I, I would say myself personally, and as a business, we probably still get about 60% of our placements are from referrals, from, from recommendations to other, you know, ex-colleagues and stuff like that. And that's a big, big part of our business. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's because that's completely different. Because I think recruitment. I don't know if you agree with me. Recruitment tends to have a bit of a of a funny reputation. Um, you know, people put it together with, like you were saying, mail shots of send out to 150 people, and you just ignore it in your inbox. But what you're saying is, you know, if you take a more measured approach to it, um, and you know, you actually concentrate on the conversations and building relationships, that's the way to do recruitment. I I personally believe so. I think there's, you know. I've, I've worked at a big firm and I've seen people do it in what I consider the wrong way. And they, and they're still relatively successful because it's a case, you know, you throw it enough at the wall and some of it sticks and, and that can be a, an approach which some people favor. I, I think, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. Recruitment definitely has a, a bad name in it. I think all kind of service industries do because there is that kind of sense with actually this transaction could happen without us being there. But I think at the same time, you know, uh, there are certain companies that we've partnered with that, you know, we've allowed them to grow to levels, which I genuinely believe they couldn't have done without the assistance of us. And that's not to say that we, you know, once they're in there, obviously people, we have to get good people. But I, you know, I use agencies to find my staff. It's very, very hard to find good people. To, you know, so, so I think if done in the right way, you know, we do bring a lot of value to, to companies. So how much of an impact is technology and new software having on the recruitment industry? You know, you, you've mentioned you don't really use it. It's all about building a, a real life network for you. But other areas of recruitment, are they seeing an impact from sort of software and, and, and new tech maybe replacing some jobs? Um, I, I'm not too sure, really. I think the, the biggest thing that we've seen kind of this year is is obviously with the introduction now of people having to use video technology, kind of, you know, Skype interviews, Teams interviews, Zoom interviews—they've they, been there for years. Since since you know, I'm only what it's coming up to five years in the industry. But when I started, they were still commonplace. People just didn't really like doing them. I, I don't know why. I, I think people kind of—it was always a really tough sell to try and get that sorted. With it now, you know, I'd say even now we're we're conducting face-to-face -face interviews. We're still probably doing about eighty percent on, on Teams, and that's massively sped up the process, which mm. is brilliant for us because where it would take you know potentially four to six weeks from receiving a cv to getting an offer out 
it, it can be as soon as sort of five, six days now, which, which wow. is great when the demand is there for staff, we can now, you know, actually properly service these companies by getting people in there a lot quicker. Um, I think that's, that's the sort of biggest change that we've seen with technology helping. I think in terms of how it's kind of helping with resourcing of people, is that kind of what you're asking or are you asking? Yeah, I just, you know, I looked into it a little bit before we had our chat and it just seems that there's a lot of tech on the market for, like you said, you know, service industries don't necessarily need, you don't necessarily need recruiters, but they add value in the chain. But some software are looking to sort of replace that and help companies go direct to the market. But um, I guess from your point of view, you know, there's that crucial, like you said, you've helped companies get to places they couldn't get without your help. So I wondered how, if it was affecting your kind of industry. Yeah, it, 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 in, in that sense, like, for example, I'd always kind of tie it back to the classic thing of of, of a job board. So, you know, that was supposed to be the, the death of the recruiter because all of a sudden I actually, I put an advert up, I'll get the applicants and I can do it all myself and it's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, you know, the, the issue with that is, and, and, you know, as a business, I've always held true to this. We do not put any job adverts up at all. Um, and I always tell, you know, clients when, when we speak to them, you know, we, as a, as a company, we charge, you know, a fair bit more than, than most of our competitors. But we also say to them, we, you know, for example, we won't use job adverts. All the things that you can do as a, an employer, we won't do. We, we do the things that you guys can't and you guys don't. And that's why, you know, we do feel like we can charge that premium. You know, we, we always say yeah. to companies, first and before you use us, put a job advert up online. You know, message a couple of people directly on LinkedIn. And when it gets to the point where you're still doing that and you haven't had the results, that's when, you know, you come to us and say, well, look, who do you have in your network or who can you directly approach for us as well? And, and that's where I believe our value is a little bit different to your traditional recruitment model, which, you know, yeah, with technology probably will start to become less less valuable to people. I guess that's true, though, when you're talking about, you know, the value you add and what you talked about so far is you really build an in-person network. You know, you're not relying on tech. You're relying on word of mouth. You're relying on, uh, you know, people coming and saying, hey, look, I use these guys. They're great. Um, Get involved. Them bringing their, um, you know, uh, people they've worked with at companies over to you. So, you know, people could sit there and and go and search themselves, but they're not going to find the network that you're building, right? I think that's the big thing. And I, I think as well, what people have to consider is that, you know, in, you know, not everyone's on LinkedIn. And if you have one approach of, oh, we, this is the, what we use, you, know, you are just going to miss out people that aren't on there. And, and a lot of people don't change their LinkedIn as well when they move jobs because, you know, they don't want to get bombarded by recruiters or, you know, <laughs> or they forget to do it. And, and it, 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 you know, if you're a recruiter, you think everyone's on LinkedIn because it's this amazing tool that you use every day, you know, but, you know, I, I, when I meet with, with engineers, I always say to them, you know, how often do you check it? And they're, oh, maybe once a month. And, mm. you know, I, we had a really, really funny example actually recently, um, uh, a, a chap, an engineer who we placed uh, with a company called Connorsby, who are a civil engineering firm up in, um, up in Cambridge. Um, I messaged him on LinkedIn and he still hasn't replied to my original message. And I've actually ended up placing him since then <laughs> because I headhunted him. So it kind of, it, it, you know, when I talk to kind of trainees in the family, it proves the point of, you know, this is someone who we have actually gone out and placed and he still hasn't replied to my original message. <laughs> 
Um, so we, we talked a bit about you going out and meeting with clients before COVID um, and going to have you know, a coffee or a beer or something. That implies to me that you have to be quite confident as a recruiter and making conversation quite outgoing. Um, what would be some personality traits that you see in yourself and others in the industry that really help you thrive? Um, I think the, the biggest one I always say is, is emotional intelligence. I think if you have that, you will do very well in, in, in recruitment. Um, you know, the ability to, to read different people and I'm not, not going to say mimic them because that kind of or replicate what they do, but understanding when you, when you meet with someone, the kind of personality that you need to take on to make sure that you guys get on, mm. you know, some it's, it's a case where you might meet someone in the very flamboyant and high energy and, and you need to match that. And then other times you'll meet people and they're a little bit more reserved and it's understanding and being respectful of how, you know, they want to communicate with yourself as well. Um, I'd always say that that's the kind of big one is having emotional intelligence. I think being able to, to have the conversation, be confident in what you do, you know, that is, is, is another trait, which I think, um, you know, kind of put you in good stead. And I think mm. the biggest one is, is, and it's probably a word that's used a lot in recruitment as well is, but just being a resilient person, you know, being able to go again when you get knocked down, because it is a job that is, you know, a term that everyone uses is champagne and razor blades. It, it is a case where it's <laughs> it's the best thing ever in the worst job in the world. And, and, you know, and that's the highs and lows of, of any sales job, really. But it's the ability to, you know, if you get, you know, a candidate pull out of a job at, at, at nine o'clock on a Monday morning, not let that ruin your week and, and you know, being able to go, OK, well, that's just the way it goes and on to the next one and, and ready to prepare yourself. So. I'd say kind of, yeah, re resilience. It's the emotional intelligence, you know, being able to communicate with people and, and just working hard. I think that's the big thing. The, there is no replica or sort of, there is no substitute, sorry, for, for just genuinely working harder than most other people and you will be successful. Funny you should mention that actually we um we had a sort of headhunter within the world of banking come on uh, a while ago um, and she headhunts for CEOs and CFOs and that kind of level um, and I actually I think you were the one that told me this you said um, let me get this right um, <laughs> um, we sell things but those things have opinions you're selling people but people have opinions so you know when they don't take the job you've got one of the hardest sales jobs in the world because usually you're selling something that doesn't have an opinion, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I remember saying, yeah, I remember saying that to you. Yeah, so that, you that's do. the way, the way I always put it is, you know, if you sell a, a, you know, a piece of gold, of course that price can change, but that gold has no choice in whether or not it's sold. Do you know what I mean? And, and as long as you are willing to sell it and someone's willing to buy it, then the transaction's always going to happen. Yeah, exactly that. We, we sell things that can change their mind. They have opinions. They, you know, we sell things that have external factors. Someone might love to take a position and all of a sudden, you know, something happens in their life that doesn't allow them to. It just makes it, yeah, it's one of those ones that you can do everything right and it still doesn't go through. And that is just part of, part of the job. Mm. And for you, what would be one of the biggest positives um, you've had out of, of the industry? I guess, you know, starting a company at 23 is pretty cool, but anything else that stands out for you? Um, I don't know, in terms of kind of milestones or in terms of what I've taken that I enjoy out of it? Yeah, what you take and what you enjoy out of the industry, really. Uh, yeah, it, it, it sounds terrible. It, it, you know, it is quite a lucrative industry. And that's a big reason why I, I got into it. it is one that, you know, financially, you can do well out of it if it goes well. Um, I think that that is probably one of the main reasons that most people do it. And, and one of the things that, you know, does get me up in the morning and keeps me doing it. Um, 
that's a kind of big side of it. I think the ability to, you know, work with some really, really good companies, you know, and, it, and it's a case of, I, I like the idea of potentially building a, a brand name and, and, you know, actually have a bit of a presence and have a company that, that's known. And I think those are the big things for me that I hopefully we're working towards and I feel we are, but mm-hmm. that's, that's the kind of, you know, the, the way that I like the fact that, you know, I, we, we, I've walked into to meetings with, you know, some of my, my, my team and we're sitting there for these, you know, kind of publicly listed companies, we're sitting with, you know, major directors and they're kind of almost surprised, you know, hold on, you're, you're, you're the guy that owns the company. You, you know, <laughs> to, and that for me is quite a, a nice thing because that's cool. You know, yeah. The, yeah. There's, the, you know, there's no, there's no age limit to, to, to when you can do things and no age when you can be successful. And I, I quite enjoy the, the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm a younger guy doing it. I think that's quite fun. Um, mm. I love the fact that you said that you love the sort of financial reward to it because I think people now they kind of I don't know what it is but they shy away from saying oh you know I I enjoy my job because it it pays well and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that I think people need to be a bit more like you know if you you, people work for different reasons if your reason is financial reward great fine if it's more you know I just enjoy my job that's fine as well but you know I love the fact that you said that yeah, I think people are scared. It's a very British thing, isn't it? We don't like talking about money. It's it's a yeah. it's a weird one. And it, yeah, I mean that's the thing. We we're very. I, I always try and tell my staff we have to be blasé about it when we speak to candidates as well. You know, we we, we talk to people. And, you know, what money do you want? What money do you need? What money are you looking for now? Because ultimately, you know, most people would not work if it was for free. Mm. You, you know, what I mean, it, it is a it, you know you are you're selling your time to someone, and you're selling, and that needs to be kind of you know given back and you have to understand that, that that is why we do what we do really mm. i know obviously there are there are you know vocational positions and people some people do love their job and that's also like you said it's it's an amazing thing but you know i i genuinely believe in a sales role really money has to be one of the key motivators in, in sales because that is the, the the way that you kind of measure your sales success a lot of the time is is, is binary it's how am i doing what are the numbers looking like and how am i working it mm. And on the flip side of that, then, what's something that you find, um, you know, less favourable about the industry? Um, I think it's it's there's a there's a few different. I think that the, the the main one is the stigma around it. I think that that initially when I first got into it, it did bother me. You know, being honest, it was mm. it was quite a peculiar one. I remember we used to kind of uh, go for example it would be christmas parties or family parties and things like that we would go to and my sister is incredibly successful she's um sort of a, a trainee solicitor now and at the that stage she was you know being a paralegal waiting for a training contract to start and i was kind of a year into into recruitment now you know not to kind of i know we're going to talk about money because that's a big thing of this but mm. i was you know i was making you know two to three times as, as much as my sister was at this time but when you know we were speaking to people and my mum was saying oh yes uh, you know connor's a recruitment consultant oh that's nice and charlotte's apparently got oh my god amazing you must be so proud it's yeah incredible. yeah and, and i that that to me initially used to kind of annoy me and i think that was a big thing you know that that really got to me initially about the industry and, and what i don't like about it i think yeah it's that it's that kind of that stigma that goes along along with it i think another part as well as a lot of people don't see recruitment as a career you know it's mm. it's one of those things that okay i've left uni i don't know what to do i want to do recruitment for a year or two and then i'm going to find my real job and that's what i'm going to focus on and i think 
that also ties into why people have that negative image of, of, of recruiters. It's because people, most people that do it really aren't, aren't, aren't great at it because they're just doing it because they don't know what else to do. Um, mm. You know, whereas, you know, there's not, you know, I mean, now we, there are apprenticeship courses you can take in recruitment and HR and stuff like that, but it, it's not something that people go, oh, actually, you know, this is a really good career. You can build a, a, a really, you know, fantastic life out of this. And it's extremely rewarding. It's never really painted in that picture. It's always, oh, you'll make loads of money when you're very young. So give it a go for a year. If you don't like it, no worries. You'll go get a real job. Yeah, no, I, I completely, I think that is the perception. I think you've hit the nail on the head of recruiters. And like you were saying, when you're going to family parties and somebody says, oh, okay, well, you're a recruiter. But, you know, you're a really good example of how recruitment can, can turn out if you work hard, right? <laughs> Yeah, and, and not just even from me owning a business. I've I've got guys that work for me who are like one of our highest performing guys, a, a guy called Joe. He's twenty two, just turned twenty three, doing extremely well for himself. You know, he has one GCSE. In in uh, you know, he's not someone who on paper is smart, but an extremely sharp individual. Someone who's very very switched on and, and he's jumped into a, a career that's going to you know really put him in in a great financial position for the rest of his life yeah you know what I mean? I, so it's i don't know if you of, agree with me but i think there's too many industries now that are going down the route of um, specific qualifications you need to have x y and z some people are just not good at school yet they are brilliant at the jobs they choose to do and i, I just the obsession with you know i've got this grade that grade i get it for certain you know industries and certain career paths but it's just not necessary for a lot of careers that you can do really well in if you're not academic yeah i i I honestly couldn't agree more with you i think it's 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 a really strange actual method of kind of sorting people really isn't it it's okay what we do is we're going to have these set tests from the age of 16 to 19 and then however you perform in these specific tests will dictate how your life goes. And it, it yeah. doesn't really, doesn't really make sense because most of the things you learn are never really directly applicable. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very big believer and I, I genuinely think that people should be pushed more towards, you know, vocations or, or skills-based education or hundred percent agree with that. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it's that classic, you, you've probably seen it as well, but it's the classic kind of, um, they're comparing a, a, a fish and a, and a monkey or something like that. And they said, yes. if you judge, yeah, if you judge the, the fish and its ability to climb the tree, then it's always going to be, you know, as they say, unsuccessful or, or something like that as well. And it's, that's, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you that I, I don't think the education system is a good model for helping, helping people kind of get to where they should do in life. Mm. Um, so let's, we kind of talked about it a bit earlier, but let's talk about money if you don't mind. Okay. So the we look um, for average salaries across every industry we uh, we talk about, and the average salary apparently in the UK for a recruiter is around twenty six thousand pounds. Now recruitment's a bit different though, isn't it? Because you can get commission structures, you can get bonuses. How does it really work? And does that figure sound about right for the average income for a recruiter? I would I would say that's probably yes. I'd say because you're you're kind of having to i guess have a cross-section of of graduates and also very senior guys as well um but yeah the way they're kind of the, the, to, to really simplify it the, the way that it operates in recruitment is you know when you get someone in a position when you place someone in a, in a role you will charge the end client a, a, a basically a percentage of their annual salary um now different companies work in different ways in terms of how they pay the staff commission but what that 
result is and, and and that charge to the client that that's what's called your billing so that's what you bring in in revenue for the company you work for now as a consultant you will then receive a percentage of that and that can vary on, on, on a load of different factors. Some places just do a fixed percentage. Some places will do a sliding scale that the more you place within a month, you will, you know, the, the, the more you get, the, the, the more you receive. So for the first maybe £10,000, you might receive you know, 500 quid. For the next £10,000, you'll receive £2,000 of it. And it mm-hmm. kind of works that way. Um, so that's kind of how, how commission can be structured. Um, some companies do it slightly differently. How, as a business, we would do things so we do it on a month by month basis um, and how it sort of operates as well as any deals or anyone that who, any of your candidates who start in the month of January, for example, you get paid that commission in, in February as well. Um, so in terms of general salaries, uh, I'll, I'll give you, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a very honest understanding of, of where I started and how I was when I left. Mm. So I started out as a trainee recruitment consultant on 16,016. Um mm. I started on that in November. I was then promoted to what they called an associate consultant. So basically you worked alongside the consultant in January and I was moved on to 20,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the, I'm trying to think when it was now, I think it was by maybe the June or July of that year as well. I, I basically, I, I did very, very well when I was there and I kind of was you know, exceeding a lot of targets. So, they put me on officially the, the money of a senior recruitment consultant at that wow. firm. Um, and I was on 28,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was the last salary that I was on obviously when I left. Um, but in terms of a general commission breakdown as well, my average monthly pay was probably circa 5,000 a month. Wow. <laughs> um, and then, but sometimes I'll go up to like seven uh, and wow. then sometimes that'll be a bit lower on like two or three. Um, so it really can massively change um, mm. in terms of the levels that you bring. Obviously, to, to, for, for that kind of five to seven, I was you know bringing the company anywhere from eighteen to kind of thirty thousand pound every month. So I was getting a, a pretty good kind of chunk of of that. Mm. Um, but I, I would say, yeah, the average. Sorry, I got off on a bit of a tangent there. But the average <laughs> kind of salary twenty six could be right. That that's probably for your yeah your mid range consultants base level salary but i guess we're saying if you you know if you bill more essentially in how your commission structure works it can be a hell of a lot more or it can equally you know it might be a bit less exactly that yeah, yeah. It, it is funny as ones it, it can be incredible I, I you know there are people i think i think i read it maybe two three years ago that i think the at the top three highest paying jobs in the city recruitment was in there you know wow. some of these guys are on crazy crazy money once you get to kind of you know you're placing a director on on whatever he's on and you're getting 20 percent of that it's it's you know it can be huge huge you know money when it comes back to it mm. um so i'm always interested when we have recruiters on to ask them about cvs um and so what is something that you always look for or what makes the cv stand out for you when you're when you're sifting through them all um i i think in terms of if you work you know in the professional kind of you you're not a graduate you're going into it and you're already working yeah i think longevity is something that is always seen you know kind of as a as a really really strong trait to have you know if you if you are somewhere for for six months and then you're another place for a year and then you're another place after that sometimes firms will take a punt on someone but where a lot of the lot of comments we get is you know 
love the look of him or he's interviewed incredibly well and I love the look of the CV. I just don't know if I can justify paying an agency fee if he's going to leave us after six months or a year. Sure. So that, that can always be a difficult thing. I think, you know, put your kind of actual personality onto the CV as well. Don't, you know, try and just make it relatively generic. Really put what you're interested in, what you're general, you know, quite generally what you were doing at this company, what you helped them with. You know, don't be afraid to, to not boast about what you've done, but don't be, don't be, you know, super modest with it either. You know, if you genuinely believe that you helped the company in X, Y, and Z way, make sure you put that down. You know, people want to see the best version of you on, on that CV. Um, one, one thing I've always, was always told growing up, which I massively disagree with, is that a CV needs to be a page long or two pages long and, and, and short and sweet. I think it doesn't need to be filled with, with waffling. If you haven't got, you know, a lot in your career, if you might be, you know, in your first job ever, or you're looking to get into your first job, then, you know, obviously don't write six, seven pages. But if you've had a really good career and you've achieved a lot of things, they need to be in there. You know what I mean? That, that's something that I've always kind of been told as well. Um, but yeah, I, I try to say those, those are a few things that we kind of look for as a, as an agency and things that stand out for us. I think key skills is always a really strong point. You know, have an actual section of these are the key fundamentals and and don't be afraid to change those around depending on what job you're applying for. You know, if, if you're applying for a job at a slightly more kind of, if you're putting in an engineering world, if you're applying for one that's a lot more kind of project management focused, put those into your key skills. If you're applying for one that's, a, you know, a lot more kind of technical, then, then put that into your key skills. It, it is okay to chop and change your CV depending on where you're going to be sending it. Mm -hmm. And is it right to say, uh, if you make a statement in your CV, you should be quantifying that statement. If you say, I'm good at, uh, let's just say accounting. Um, if you, you know, you should say, I'm good at accounting at my previous company. I did X, Y, and Z to help that part of the business. Massively, yeah. I think that's, that's yeah, you're, you're nailing it kind of bang on there. You need to be able to give clear examples of things that you've done. Mm. And for anyone listening to this and they may be in recruitment already or thinking of going into it, what's your number one tip on progressing in the industry? It's a great question. Um, just kind of thinking, what would I say my number one tip is for... I would say... I would say a big thing I've seen the people that have done the... There's there's a common trait that I always see in people that, that succeed and and build more than everyone else and it is simply just put the work in you know mm. don't be one of these people that you know don't accept that you know you might be sat next to another recruiter who you know bills five six thousand pound a month and you're doing nine ten thousand pounds you think oh i'm doing really well because i'm beating the person next to me that's a really common thing that i saw i, I worked in a company where everyone thought that they were doing amazing and then actually if you contextualize it with what you potentially could be achieving it never really weighed up. And I think it's very easy to, you know, be happy with what you're doing in terms of your numbers. If you genuinely want to push on and crack on, there's always another company that you can work with. There's always another candidate that you could potentially get hold of. You know, if you're a recruiter that's, you know, I've gone, oh, I've absolutely smashed it. I've got a great hub on, on London. I, I know all the guys in my, in my sector in London, I'm doing really well. Well, then look at Manchester, look at Leeds, look at Birmingham, look at Bristol. Don't don't limit yourself. It, it is one of these ones where you can always do a little bit more. Mm, mm. That's I, that's what I would say. And would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Yes, I, I genuinely think I would. I, I, I think 
in terms of what you can get out of it, I think it's very, very hard in the modern world unless you have, as I was saying, unless you've got a first or a two one from a top university. I think it's very, very difficult to 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 put yourself in a position where you can have you know large amounts of, of financial rewards from from the work you do. I think it's extremely hard, really, to unless you're in. I, I don't know whether I'm saying this from a naive standpoint, but unless you're in the traditional kind of your banking, your finances, those guys, to really actually make a, a lot, a lot of money, and that's something for me that was was a, a, a big reason why I got into a sales-based role that was commission-based. You know, the earnings were were purely based on my on myself. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking. It's actually been really interesting, and um, you've been really honest about the whole recruitment world. And um, yeah, I've loved having you on, mate. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And hopefully uh, people yeah, might, might listen to it and, and go, actually, you know what? I fancy giving it a crack. And uh, I'd always say to, to people, if you, you know, if you genuinely want to do well, they, you know, anyone can, anyone can do well in recruitment. You've just got to just give it a crack and, and work harder than the next person. And where can people find you or your business, mate? Um, so in terms of, I said, considering we said not on LinkedIn, we obviously <laughs> are on, 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 on LinkedIn as well. Um, yeah, our website is yeah, questpersonnel.co.uk. We have an Instagram page as well that we kind of post some of our jobs on as well. Um, market a bit about our business on that. Um, but yeah, have a look on the website, such as up on LinkedIn as well. And, and we're on Instagram too. Brilliant. Thanks again for coming on, mate. No worries. Cheers, Dan.